what we're really talking about is finding balance. Finding balance between structure and downtime between activities that are known to our kids, they know what to expect, and activities that they have no idea what to expect. And trying to stay regulated as much as possible, right? Because when we're regulated, we're calm and connected, and we're doing good. Welcome to the Beautifully Complex podcast, where I share insights and strategies on parenting neurodivergent kids straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Beautifully Complex podcast. Today, we are back with the Behavior Revolution, just Sarah Wayland and I, for our monthly behavior episode. And we thought it'd be a good idea here at the beginning of the summer to talk about summer vacation with your neurodivergent kids, some tips and tricks that Sarah and I have learned over the years to sort of stabilize family vacation, (laughs) try to um, make it enjoyable for everyone. And a lot of that, of course, boils down to our parent mindset and our expectations. So we're going to dive right into that and give you some really actionable items and ideas to have a family vacation that's actually fun. Because I know I can remember many where nobody had fun (laughs) because we had expectations we shouldn't, right? Or we had expectations that just weren't met outside of our kids and, you know, weather and things like that. But I found that the more that I planned, the better things went. And I think Sarah would say the same. Oh, definitely. And also, I mean, the expectations of people around me mm-hmm. were important. So that was something else that I I learned to manage other people's <laughs> responses and expectations as well as my own. Yeah. So let's talk first about setting expectations, because I think that's really the foundational piece of having a vacation that goes well. You have to have realistic expectations. And we talk about this so much when we talk about behavior and we talk about neurodivergent kids, you really have to have doable expectations for your kids. So my first tip would be do not expect a picture-perfect vacation. It is not going to happen (laughs) because they don't happen for anyone, but they especially are not going to be, you know, these super rosy ideas of family togetherness when you have a kid who struggles with not knowing what's coming next, transitioning, being in places that are unfamiliar, not having their regular routine and structure, you know, all these things can throw a wrench in a vacation. And so you have to set expectations that are doable for your kid. So one thing could be that you have some downtime. Lots, lots of downtime. Lots of downtime. (laughs) You don't plan every minute of every day, which I think is natural for us to want to (laughs) plan and pack everything in, right? We're going on this trip. We don't get to do it very often. Let's make sure we hit Disney Universal and the five other parks that are close by, right, in four days. And really, that's just misery for everyone. Like, nobody could possibly enjoy that sort of schedule. What else do you want to say about that, Sarah? 
Well, one thing we learned to do was to ask our kids what their ideal vacation would look like. So mm. <laughs> for my kids, the answer was, as long as the internet is screaming fast and amazing, it'll be a good vacation. <laughs> mm. Which for me, like my ideal vacation is no internet whatsoever. <laughs> so there was a bit of a conflict there. But I did learn over the years, like just find places that had really, really good internet. So when we were looking at hotels or looking at places to rent, we always made sure we knew whether the internet was going to be okay, because for my kids, that was a make or break kind of thing. And yeah. denying that that's what they needed, because I needed something else just ended up <laughs> really making everybody miserable. Yeah, you have to. Again, I think part of this is knowing your kid. Mm -hmm. Right. And knowing what makes them comfortable. Like for my child, gaming is his comfort zone. Right. It is his therapy. It is his medication. It like he just feels so much better and so much better about himself in that realm. And I could fight it and say, no, we're not playing any games. It's vacation. And then what happens? He's miserable the whole time. And when he gets dysregulated, he doesn't have that tool that helps him regulate and feel mm -hmm. better, right? And you just set yourself up for failure and you set your kid up for failure. Mm -hmm. We made sure to take a laptop or take, you know, this will say how old my kids are, but we <laughs> with us or, you know, the older gaming technologies and make sure that we had some time where we just hung out wherever we were staying and had some time for everybody to sort of chill and and recover because when you do go do these crazy fun day-long activities they can be fun but they can also be extra exhausting I think especially for hypersensitive kids right mm -hmm. yeah you know it's funny when I was growing up my parents planned everything they were very organized my mom was amazing and she planned these incredible vacations and we would go and there was all every day there were two or three things we had to do and so when we came home, we were all exhausted <laughs> mm -hmm. instead of feeling restored and rejuvenated. And so when I met my husband, I loved traveling with him because he wanted to just like go somewhere pretty and chill out with a book or something. And so we felt like we had, you know, met our soulmates. But then when we had kids, like if there was all that unstructured time, then that actually was dysregulating for them. Whereas mm -hmm. for me, it would just felt like, you know, a relief of some of the pressure of the day to day schedule. And so we realized we had to plan downtime. And we definitely, even <laughs> not wanting as much as what my mom would schedule, I want more activities on my vacation than my kids do. One of our best vacations, we actually like the kids would do one thing, and then me and my husband or me or my husband would do two other things in addition to that one thing. So, you know, mm -hmm. it was like they would do one third and we would do three thirds. And and that worked out really, really well for us. But we that involved a lot of planning, right? Like, who's going to watch the kids? Do we really want to do things alone? Or is it better to hang out? Things like that. So yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. And what we're really talking about is finding balance finding balance between structure and downtime between activities that are known to our kids, they know what to expect, and activities that they have no idea what to expect. 
and Mm -hmm. trying to stay regulated as much as possible, right? Because when we're regulated, we're calm and connected and we're doing good. And when we're dysregulated, that's when we start to see all this challenging behavior, meltdowns and arguments and, you know, not wanting to do things when asked and that sort of thing. And so if we build a balance, then we can do some activities that maybe exhaust us and we're going to be dysregulated by the end. But then we're building in that time to recover and regulate again. And then, you know, we we can see kind of the best outcome, right, for the whole vacation. So if we're really pushing our kids and they're telling us in one way or another by words <laughs> or by behavior that it's not going well, they're not feeling good, you know, we're going to start to see deteriorating behavior. But if we can make sure that we're building in that time to regulate then things go so much better. And again, that regulation doesn't necessarily mean calm. You know, my kid needs a whole lot of activity and things that he knows or is good at to feel regulated again. Another kid might need to lay down under a cozy blanket in the quiet and the dark to regulate, right? So you have to know your kid and what they're going to need from you and from the way that you plan that time. Yeah, and that point about different activity level being restoring for different people. Mm -hmm. Like if you have one kid who's a couch potato and really restores best by, you know, not moving around a whole lot, and another kid who needs to have lots of activity worked into their day, just as it's challenging at home to get their needs met, it's also challenging when you're on vacation because you don't know exactly where you can go to get those different needs met. Mm Mm-hmm. You got to plan for it right before you go. Yeah. I mean, we used to take weighted blankets. We would take, before everybody had an iPhone, we had this little battery-operated nature sound and white noise machine that we took. We would take, you know, the melatonin and all (laughs) of the things that, right, that were useful at home to make sure that we had them while we were away. And it was really important to do that because... I think the more comfortable we can make our kids when we're not in their most comfortable environment of home, then we're setting them up for success. As much as we can keep similar, I think we're setting them up to be able to do well. I love that. And you know, one of the things that my kids found really dysregulating is the sort of free flow nature of vacation. So mm-hmm. when's breakfast and when's lunch and when's dinner and when can we go swimming and when can we, you know, when is bedtime? Because those things all change during a vacation. And I learned, you know, it was what you were saying earlier, I did have to have some structure, even if it was an unstructured vacation. So I would have a schedule, yeah. you know, I just put a schedule up, say pancakes at 10 or whatever. So they knew, you know, if they wanted pancakes, they needed to get up at 10. But and I actually like learned to post a visual schedule up so they could refer to it and know when there were planned activities and when downtime was. So I actually wrote downtime on the schedule. And then I would put Mm -hmm. a list of like what options you had during downtime. You know, do you want to go play foosball in the basement? Or do you want to, you know, go go for a walk around the neighborhood? Do you want to go play mini golf? Whatever. Yeah. And I was just thinking as you were talking about that, that you could make that picture schedule or that schedule together as a group before you even go on vacation. So everybody Mm. has a say in it as well, because 
we definitely know when we have our kids buy in, things go way better than when we're just dictating to them what they need to do and when. And I think that's especially important the older your kids get, too. You know, if you're vacationing with teens, they're really going to want to have a say in what you're oh, going to yeah. make them do all week. You know, <laughs> For sure. And when you give them that say, they feel good, so they do good. And when you don't, you know what happens. Yeah. And, you know, you were just talking about that, and I was thinking about how when our kids were little, they actually hated going to the beach because one kid was super sensitive to the sound of the waves crashing, and he would freak out mm. about that. And the other one hated getting dirty. <laughs> so, so playing in the sand was a no-go for him. So it was just horrible. Like, everybody loves going to the beach, right? But not my kids. So I we learned after a couple of visits to just not go to the beach. But then now, they love it. They love being near the beach and hearing the waves crashing on the shore and so on. So something that I just wanted to make sure to share with families is that just because they can't do it right now doesn't mean they won't grow into it later. So you're not giving up on, you know, a fun vacation at the beach forever, just right now. That would make me so sad. That's my happy place. (laughs) Yeah, I know so many people. For Luke, when he was little, that was his happy place. That was the one place Mm. where he just beamed and was really engaged, right, in his environment and stuff. And he could just run out there and be himself, right? And it was magical, really. It was Mm -hmm. magical. And he enjoyed nature, and he didn't need so much structure. Like, he was good going out there for several hours and just finding something to do, boogie boarding or playing in the sand or finding shells or whatever, Mm -hmm. running up and down the beach because he was the super hyperactive kid. So there was a lot of just running sometimes, right? <laughs> and now, you know, as a young adult, he doesn't want to go to the beach. It sounds boring to him. So I'm like, wait a minute, that was your happy place. What are you Aww. talking about? You know, but kids change and we change too, even in adulthood. But I think, you know, making sure that they feel seen and heard is really important. Yeah. Even on vacation. For sure. Like, yes, it's our job to plan. Yes, we pay for it. Yes, you know, we work hard to go on a vacation. But the goal is for everyone to have a good time. Right. And you have to be realistic about what that takes when you have a neurodivergent kid in the family. You just do. Yeah. You know, another thing I wanted to mention is that we learned it's not just about once you get there, like also the travel getting there. Mm. So we live in Maryland and our families are in New Mexico and Texas. And so we really can't drive there for vacation. So we have to fly. And the airports, oh, what a disaster. <laughs> and so it's not I. Sensory friendly. Oh my goodness. And there's a whole lot of waiting and sitting mm-hmm. around and not be being able to do anything fun because you never know when they're going to say they're going to start boarding or whatever. And so we really had to plan like for the whole trip. We stopped actually making connections on flights. Like if we could get a direct flight, we just paid extra. But when we yeah. had to make a connection, because my, my younger son, he was always like, we're done. You get off the plane and you're done. And if you then went back onto another plane, he was just like, wait, wait, I already did that. And I'm really done. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to make I'm everyone not interested in doing yes. it again. <laughs> so we actually made a social story for him. And my other son actually really benefited too, where we had a notebook 
and we had pictures of all the different phases of getting through the airport, getting on the plane, what to expect on the plane. And then we had a lot of activities they could do on the plane to stay, you know, okay. And I actually get motion sickness and my younger son does mm -hmm. too. And um, so we learned like, you know, you bring gum so you can chew gum. And I take Dramamine and he does now too. He couldn't tolerate it when he was younger. But that was always like planning for what are you going to do if you get sick? Like we always found the little bags to make sure <laughs> it wasn't yeah. a surprise at the last moment. But, you know, just really thinking through every aspect of what flying was going to be like, parking the car, getting a rental car and driving on a van to get the rental car. Like we all know what those processes are, but our kids don't. And so if you can just, you know, give them that social story about how it's likely to go and what might happen, then they they aren't so blindsided when things don't go well. Because when you're traveling, that's that's the one rule is it's never going to go the way you plan. <laughs> yeah, expect the unexpected. <laughs> For sure. It is going to happen, <laughs> I think, in life in general, but especially when you're on a trip, that <laughs> always seems to be the case. I remember this has nothing really to do with neurodivergence, but we went to the Outer Banks for spring break one year because we live in, in the western half in the mountains. And it was freezing, like literally freezing. And we had to go and buy winter clothes and shoes and socks because we had nothing oh, wow. <laughs> that we could be in. And like it totally threw everything for a loop. Everything we had planned was harder or not possible. You know, oh, it was wow. it was crazy, but we just had to roll with it. So we, you know, got clothes and shoes that worked and we sat down. And we said, okay, what can we do here when it's really cold? Because we're not boogie boarding. We're not getting in the water. Mm -hmm. um, at times it was hard to even stand outside because it was so cold and windy. You know, so things wow. just happen and that's okay. Like, that's just part of life. You can get really upset about it or, you know, you can figure out a way. And we figured out a way for that week. And then we decided we're not going on a beach vacation in North Carolina or South Carolina <laughs> in spring break again, because it happened a couple of times. And we're like, okay, that just doesn't work, right? You know, you learn by doing one thing that I thought about when you're talking about the airport and flying and preparing for what's going to happen, what has helped us a bunch is reminding of expectations, reminding what's coming next. Okay, we're going to, mm. you know, out to the water, we're going to boogie board for an hour or two, however long you guys feel like doing it. And then we're going to come in and we're going to clean up and we're going to go to dinner, right? So they know like this is step A and this is step B and this is, you know, the trajectory of what the next few hours is going to look like. My son really needed that. He needed to know what was coming all yeah. the time, <laughs> all For the time. Sure. And it really then helped with the transitions because it was basically like a warning for transition. Mm. And it was really successful for the most part. Now, of course, you know, you're going to have times where it's a non-preferred activity and, they're extra tired or, you know, they swallowed too much ocean water boogie boarding and they just don't want to do anything else. You know, things come up, right? And you you deal with them. But for the most part, just really staying focused on this is what we're doing now. This is what's going to come next really, really helps for a lot of kids. Oh, yeah. And for grownups. Yeah. Well, that's true, isn't it? <laughs> I need to know what's coming next, too. I'm a planner. You know, but that brings up a good point, too, is that our kids are not us. 
So what we need may not be what they need. And we have to remember that we have to we're planning for a bunch of individuals who are going as a group. We're not planning for a bunch of people who are all the same. Right. You know, our kids aren't us and, you know, our significant others aren't us either. Like we all have different things that we need and want out of a trip. And we have to be really mindful that there's a lot of different sort of personalities, you know, coming together. For sure. You know, you just reminded me of a time when I was I was in high school and our orchestra actually got, we won some competition and got to go over to Vienna, Austria and perform over there as part of this big youth and music conference thing. So they planned this huge, like it was two weeks of just nonstop, mm. go, go, go. And towards the end of the second week, I was exhausted. And I was a senior in high school, but I was so exhausted. And they wanted to go to an amusement park. So they had planned this whole amusement park thing. Yep. And I just thought, if I go to that, I'm going to lose my marbles. And so <laughs> I asked the teacher and the you know parent chaperones if I could just stay in my room and sleep. And thank heaven they let me do that. I felt so much better afterwards. But, you know, everybody else was okay with going to that amusement park. They had a great time. That was restoring for them. But it was so nice to be able to just sleep <laughs> and not mm -hmm. have to go on a roller coaster, <laughs> which I couldn't handle at yeah. that point. And we assume that kids automatically have a ton of energy mm -hmm. and a ton of stamina. And a lot of kids just don't. They just don't because of, you know, faulty neuroception and being triggered by sensory things and the unknown and all these things that also come into play. And not every kid has boundless energy, right. at least not all the time, you know, and I think that's really important to think about too, is like I would plan something and it would be exhausting for me, but I was like, well, you know, it's family vacation and I'm going to do it for them. Well, most of the time it was exhausting to everybody. It wasn't just, <laughs> you know, my expectation was that, oh, they're kids, they have so much energy. Nothing's going to mm. wear them out too much. You know, they'll be able to go, go all day. And that's not necessarily true. And <laughs> even if they want to go all day, it doesn't mean that they're going to do well if they do go all day, right? That right. could be a problem in and of itself. Oh my gosh. You know, and then there's the keying down at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So many of our kids have sleep issues. So you really have to plan for that as well. How are you going to help your child get good rest while they're not at home? Mm. Which I kind of talked a little bit about earlier. Take all those tools that you have, <laughs> whatever works at home, and try to um, have it there. I mean, we always had blankies with us. That was a deal breaker. You could not go anywhere overnight without blankies. And, you know, even when my kids were older, they still wanted that as comfort. And we allowed that. Like, I know yeah. so many parents get upset because kids are older and they still have their loveys or whatever they cling to. It's really just not a big deal. <laughs> I totally <laughs> like, agree. <laughs> when they're old enough, they'll decide they don't need it anymore whenever that works for them. And, and that could be at age five or 10 or you know, 30, who cares? <laughs> I mean, it really is not going to ruin their life if they're taking a blankie on vacation at 15, I promise, because nobody else is going to know but your family. Correct. I had my mom sew a pillow cover out of the same material that Luke's blankie was in. And when he went on school trips, he used that pillow. He took that pillow with that cover so that he could be stealthy about it, but he still had that same 
fabric and was able to feel it and have that security from it in a different way. So, you know, you just have to get creative sometimes, but just saying, no, you don't need it. You're you're getting too old for that or whatever and leaving it behind. Mm-mm. You are totally setting yourself up for disaster. <laughs> There's just no reason for that. No right. reason for that. Right, right. That's a really sweet story. I love that story. <laughs> yeah, like you have to think, you know, and by that point, like I think the first school trip overnight was eighth grade. And by that point, I knew him pretty well, right? I knew that he was going to need it. And I also knew that there were going to be four other eighth grade boys in this room with him, and they were not going to be nice about it. You know, they're just not. And so that's the plan we came up with. Fortunately, there was a lot of extra fabric, and my mom had Mm. held on to it all those years. But, you know, I just thought, how do I get creative? He can be comfortable, but he doesn't make himself a target for teasing and and social issues. And it worked out just fine. He had his own little pillow and nobody was the wiser. (laughs) I love it. You know, you do what works, right? You do what works. If there's something your kid has at home and they really just can't stand the thought of a week without knowing exactly where it is or being able to put eyes on it or hands on it, and it's not like furniture or something ridiculous, take it with you. (laughs) Like, you know, take it with you. It's perfectly fine. And it's not, you know, I can just hear parents going, oh, you're coddling your child. You're not. You're giving them what they need. And I think there's a big difference there, you know, knowing your child, knowing where they are, knowing what's going to make them feel comfortable in a situation that probably makes them uncomfortable I mean, for my kid, going anywhere unknown was super, super uncomfortable and anxiety provoking. And so I knew that there were things that I needed to do to help him no matter what age he was. Like, it just was the way it is. And I was totally okay with that because I needed to be for him. Like, what is family vacation for? Is to make great memories with your family and make memories of your kids having fun, right? So why would we not plan to make that go as good as possible? Why would we not concede some things that maybe are our tightly held beliefs that we probably already needed to let go of anyway mm. and, you know, do what our kids need from us? You know, I <laughs> you just reminded me of a, another vacation where my son, so my older son had a Mudkip Pokemon plushie, a stuffed animal, whatever, mm-hmm. that he was very, very attached to Mudkip. And Mudkip came everywhere with us, and we took him on vacation, and it was a vacation with my sister and her family and then some friends of theirs. And so there were six kids, and they were, you know, they were playing all the time. And one of the things that they were playing was, like, hide the the item, and then everybody looks for it until they find it. So one of the kids hid the Mudkip somewhere mm. really good, and no one could find it for days. And... <gasps> My son was beside himself. It was so awful. We were like scouring eBay to try to find another Mudkip to order and have it delivered to this house. We could not find another Mudkip. And my son was beside himself. He was so, so sad. Now, I'll tell you the end of the story so you don't feel too bad, but we found it the last day of vacation in a laundry basket. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So Mudkip was not gone forever. Yes, but it was truly a horrible vacation because we just spent the whole vacation with him crying like for days. And so to your point that things happen that you can't predict, like these things happen. And so Mm -hmm. what we did is we just tried our best to respond with empathy and, 
you know, yeah, we're sorry. We tried to distract. So we did some fun things. You know, it was a beach vacation. So that was an added bonus. <laughs> but, but anyway, but we, we tried to, they do love mini golf. So we, we played a lot of putt-putt. And uh, those were some things we did. I was going to say that your story about Mudkip brings up a good point about safety if our kids feel safe or unsafe. Mm. And for your son, he did not feel safe if he did not know where that comfort item was, right? And right. It's, that's one of the really important pieces of this, too, is you have to think about what makes my child feel safe, what makes my child feel unsafe. And when they're feeling unsafe, how do we plan for that? What can we do? What can we do to minimize the amount of time that they feel unsafe. And really the goal is that they always feel safe, right? But <laughs> unexpected things happen. Yep. But just understanding, you know, at that point in time that that was his comfort item and he was probably feeling really unsafe and you did the best you could to help him feel a little bit more comfortable and more safe, right? And yeah. that, that's a big point too. When we talk about behavior, we're always talking about safe versus unsafe. And that certainly comes with us on vacation too. Yeah, it's such a good point. And I think the other point about that is sometimes with all the best planning in the world, things still go wrong. And that is something you're going to have to figure out, like, how how am I going to deal with this? We almost left that vacation early because it was so awful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were thinking maybe we should just drive home and, you know, figure out what to do. But we didn't end up doing that. He did end up getting through it. But I'm sure he does not remember that vacation fondly. Yeah. But, you know, his brain did know that he could do hard things when he got through it, right? Like, right. We also have to challenge our kids a little bit. Yep. So that they can grow and be more resilient and know that they can do things that are unknown and that they will be okay in the end. It brings up the point, too, of making plans with contingency plans. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if this happens, and this is something in our house that's really common because I have anxiety and my daughter has anxiety. And the one thing that's always helped me the most is, okay, if everything goes wrong, <laughs> you know, if this thing that my brain is freaking out about actually happens, what do I do? And I plan for that ahead of time mm. because then I'm not so afraid of that thing happening. Like, I'm still afraid of it happening, but not to the point that it's ruining everything, that it's possible that it might happen, even if it's this microscopic possibility, right? Smart. And so we make plans for when plans don't work sometimes, you know, we make plans for, okay, this is what I'm really worried about. If that actually happens, what can I do? And then, you know, that just eases the anxiety some of course, you can't foresee everything, right? And you can't plan for everything, but as much as you can, like, for instance, if you're doing an outdoor vacation and it could rain, right? It could storm. <laughs> it could ruin some of your outdoor plans. Making a plan for that ahead of time or like something one of my kids probably would have been worried about is being stuck somewhere outside and it starts storming. And mm -hmm. so we would make a plan. We would watch the weather. We would look at the hour by hour before we went out to do this thing to do our best to make sure that, you know, we would be safe and comfortable and knowing that, you know, if it did start storming or something, we would turn around and we would get out of there and leave, right? And that was our contingency plan and the way that we would manage it. But, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do. And, 
You know, it's funny because it's not funny, but it brings up for me people in our lives who don't understand anxiety, who Mm -hmm. really just don't have anxiety about much of anything throughout their lives, and they just don't get the need for that level of planning. So parents, if you're one of those people, trust me, if your kid has any anxiety, they need that level of planning. (laughs) Like, Or if your spouse or your significant other Um, Anybody on your trip (laughs) has anxiety, they're going to need an extra level of planning. And I think some people feel like it ruins spontaneity or, you know, it takes some of the fun out of stuff. I've heard that before. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, it has to come back to what everybody needs to feel safe. Right. And when I told you about that social story we put together for our kids for flying, like things that can go wrong when you are flying, you miss your flight. TSA Mm -hmm. takes forever, and you have to run to the gate. You miss the connection. They cancel your flight, and you can't go. Like, these things have all happened to me at some point. Yeah. And so, I'm always thinking, what's my plan B? What's my plan C? What's my plan D? What's my plan E? You know, and thinking about, you know, how I'm going to handle it. But I've missed enough flights in my life because connections were late or whatever that I've realized, like, there's always another flight at some point. Or Mm -hmm. I can rent a car and drive the rest of the way or whatever. Like, there's always some option. I remind myself that there are things I can control, like my reaction to the situation. And there are things I can't control, like I missed the flight because my other connecting flight was late. That's something I have zero control over. And so I just have to figure out what I'm going to do if that happens. That brings up another good point, too, is managing our own anxieties as parents, Mm -hmm. you know, and not projecting those onto our kids. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you miss your connecting flight and you freak out, how do you think your kid is going to manage it? (laughs) But if you're able (laughs) to stay calm because you know there's always another way, then you're helping your kid co-regulate and stay calm or calmer at least and be able to handle that situation better. So we have to really be mindful, even on vacation, of, you know, the example that we're setting and the energy that we're putting out. You know, what are we showing our kids to do in those situations? And so often we get caught up and we don't think about that. But, you know, if you're screaming at the ticket agent about your flight, you know, your kid behind you is going to get keyed up and worried and upset. Yeah, absolutely. My sister-in-law did this brilliant thing, which is when things did not go as planned, she would say, ooh, it's an adventure. I wonder what's going to happen. And then she would, like, she would adopt that mindset of being excited about, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen now. What are we going to do if this happens? What are we going to do if that happens? So she would just get into that sort of curiosity mode, which it was so great. Yeah. And curiosity is such a good thing to take on vacation. (laughs) Like think of all the things you could explore and be curious about rather than be afraid of or worried about. Yeah. It's a really good tool. Mm -hmm. We've covered a lot. And I think that we've given some really solid tips and actionable items for parents that can help, you know, take our been there, done that wisdom and pain and (laughs) use it to your own advantage, right? And have a better vacation, maybe. But I think, you know, for the most part, be open-minded, understand your kid's experience, and be willing to be curious and creative. That's really kind of the meat of all of it. 
Anything else you want to add, Sarah, before we wrap up? No, we've covered a lot of territory here, and I've, I've mm-hmm. certainly given you some of my best tips that I use with my kids. For us, the secret really has been including them on the planning, mm-hmm. because then they have things in there they know they're excited about. Yeah, yeah, something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. It's a really good thing, too. Well, for everyone listening, you can go to the show notes for this episode at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 177 for episode 177. I know Sarah has a good article on her website that we'll link up that's about traveling with your kids who are neurodivergent. So you can find resources like that there in those show notes. And with that, we will end the episode. Sarah and I will see you as the behavior revolution in a month. And I will see everyone next week. Bye. Thanks for joining me on the Beautifully Complex podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses and parent coaching at parentingadhdandautism.com and at thebehaviorrevolution.com. Thank you.